0: A question that I often get asked is how come I didn't leave the community that I was in much sooner? If it was so bad, so negative, then why did I stay there? And to answer that, I have to go back in time into my mindset and explain to you how I allowed myself to be vulnerable to join this community. Because now that I know, if, if I could go back in time, I perhaps would, would have the guard or I would observe the red flags not to join and to advise others to be cautious. So for today's episode, I am going to dive into how I allowed myself to be vulnerable and how I joined, and how over the years I was seeing red flags, and yet I was allowing them. I was allowing those red flags, those banners, to just wave in my face, but I didn't do anything because I thought it was part of the norm. So to go back in time, or to give you a little history about about myself and my experience in this religious order slash cult. Um, I'm gonna go and start off. Let's say it was in the year 2003, I believe, where this community, uh, they had a, a a Eucharistic Congress for the youth, and right there, you know, for Catholics, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bizarre, nothing cult-like. So that's that's like the, you know, just to give some context, that's the difficulty is that this this community, I don't think that. All aspects of it were cult-like, but then when I really engaged and and was fully inside, and over the years saw how superiors manipulated things and lied and gaslighted, then it became very culty. But anyway, so let me continue. So it was in 2003 where they had a Eucharistic Congress, I believe it was in Omaha or in Iowa, and. I had a great time. We had, uh, uh, a lot of, um, I met a lot of people from around, around the country, from, uh, Florida, of course, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, made some more friends from LA who were there and Orange County and, um, uh, Moreno Valley. And, and while I was there, I actually, um, <laughs> I was, we, we're there to worship and pray and, you know, also meet other people, but I think the the main goal was to uh, get people on fire for the faith. I was too busy uh, talking with with chicks, and um, I was young. I was, uh, I think, at that time, I was fifteen, and I I wanted to really look for a good relationship. And I was still shy. I was that, you know, chubby kid. I still am chubby, by the way, but I'm not as shy. Anyways, so I was uh, talking to this uh, one girl from the East Coast, and we became uh, great friends uh, through the internet. Um, uh, we went af- after that event in 2003. We went, we went back home to our to our places, and I kept in ch- in touch with this girl from the East Coast. I would uh, text her; she would call me, a- and and back then we would use AIM, A I M. So for those folks who have no idea what that is, um, <laughs> AIM was the uh, short form for American in- America Instant Messenger. And my screen name back then was I don't I don't want to say it. I don't I don't remember maybe I'm shy I don't know maybe I do remember but I don't know <laughs> maybe my friends maybe some of y'all might remember but I was just a kid back then but anyway so I'm talking to this chick for you know throughout the year and I'm starting to really. Uh, you know, feel like a little flame in my heart. I'm really starting to feel more attracted, not just the looks, but also just the personality. And wow, I've never really felt like this for, for someone before. And I'm just so excited that there's going to be another event uh, in, I think it was going to be in Iowa, Nebraska. And I was I was so excited because she was planning to go and so was I. So the plan actually for me was, to go a week early so I can help out the brothers uh before the event and you know whatever they needed if they needed me to uh, uh mow the lawn <laughs> or if they needed me to I don't know pray or whatever I I wanted to to offer my assistance so there I was a week early arriving in Nebraska and I was just so excited because I was great friends with the brothers. I ha- actually had a brother who was uh, who was there at the time and I just wanted to help out. And at the same time, I was really looking forward to seeing this, this person whom I was, you know, so ready to ask her to be my girlfriend. So I arrive in, at the mission house. And once I walk in, uh, this priest, Uh, I don't want to say his name, but I've mentioned things about him before to kind of to kind of suggest who it is. And I'll give the same hints. He's the same guy who everyone would think, oh, my gosh, he's such a holy guy. He has a stigmata. He has the gift to read my soul. He told me what I'm supposed to do. Anyways, I walk into the mission house and he looks at me with those hypnotic eyes, those eyes that when you when he looks at you, it's like, oh, my God, this is a saint looking at me. But it's not just a, a regular look. It's like a gaze as, he's, as if he's gazing into your soul. And he gave me that look. And he said, I want you to go in the chapel. I want you to pray. Okay? And that, that's how it took. So I go in the chapel. I'm there for maybe an hour, maybe two hours. I don't remember. But then he called me out to join the rest of the brothers for lunch or dinner, whatever. And when he when he calls me out, I remember all the brothers are are sitting around, and then he tells one of the uh, one of the brothers there, uh, "Bro, I want you to get for Ryan a white polo." And I was thinking, like a white polo, like what for? And he goes, "You're going to be an aspirant." And an aspirant is like someone who is aiming, uh, who has that desire to join the religious life. You're aspiring to join a community. And I was thinking, well, now? He goes, Yeah, you're gonna be an aspirant. So you're gonna you're gonna be joining us for prayers, and you're gonna be an aspirant starting now. So I had no choice. And <laughs> And all I I could do was obey because, man, this guy is a holy guy. Who the heck am I to say no or no thank you to a living saint? So there I was with my white polo that uh, one of the brothers gave me. And there I am joining joining them for prayers. And I'm starting to feel like, oh, well, maybe this is my vocation. I mean, if he saw something, then who am I to go against that? So, throughout the week, I really felt that this is a gift that God has given me this gift of being an aspirant that I'm called to really serve and It was a very happy time for me. But then a week passed, and it came to the convention or the the Eucharistic Congress for the youth, and I saw the girl who I was who I was you know talking to and I didn't know what to do I mean I was young uh very shy as I said and I was afraid because in my mind uh she, I knew she wanted you know to talk to me and we were going to spend time together and uh, it almost sounds kind of romantic <laughs> and uh, I remember she she gave me a letter like a an envelope and like a card and I I had to throw it away afterwards because I just didn't know what to do because here was that one priest telling me that I have a vocation uh, to the religious life. And then here on the side, I feel, I feel a pull on my heart to maybe join the married life, you know, to, or, you know, to go dating. I mean, of course, I wasn't looking forward to marriage right away, but, you know, in terms of vocation, I was, I, I was really not even thinking about a vocation at that period. So I, I remember she gives me the card, the envelope. Uh, I don't know what it said. It probably says something like, oh my gosh, you're so hot. I love you. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. This is like, <laughs> this is uh this was in 2004 when this happened. And um. so I, I avoided her pretty much the whole event, which, which sucked. However, after the the Eucharist of Congress, there was a a uh, vocation campaign or a vocation retreat where uh, those whom they they thought or those who those who probably had a vocation they were encouraged to go to this to this event, which was um, it was a lot of fun. i I'll, I'll admit. And my emotions were just—they were just like fireworks because I was just so close to God, and I was uh, in love with the prayers. And you know, we're doing all this fasting, and we're doing all this uh, beautiful devotions. So then, at the uh, vocation at the vocation campaign, you have a time where you can go to confession. And uh, to this holy priest. And I'm not sure if it was confession or you just sit down and chit chat with him. I, I don't remember that that exactly. But I sat down with him. And I remember him telling me, I think you have a vocation. And that was enough. Because from there, I was like, all right. Well, if this is what God is calling me, then I'm ready. And I explained to him, however, that I was only 16. I, I actually I just I just turned 17 like the day before. So I was like 16, 17. Um, I hadn't finished my high school and I was really loving my education because I was really engaging in French and Spanish and I wanted to to pursue something in in linguistics and languages and foreign languages. And he sat down and told me that, hey, you know, you're gonna if you join us now. Even though you're underage, we're gonna help you to have to have an education and we'll help you with homeschooling and do all that. So when I went home, because a- after that event, I had to go home and kind of sell it to my parents because I was underage. And I explained to them, you know, that this priest was was saying that I would continue an education and that they would help me and that from there. Uh, I could potentially become a priest. So from there, I was able to get, convince my family that I should go, that they were going to take care of me, that I wasn't going to get the education that I needed, and that maybe later on they would have a son who would be a priest. And that's that sounds pretty amazing. But here's here's the truth. Here's what really happened. I I joined, uh, you know, did all the prayers, did all the devotions, and homeschooling came, and I started doing the homeschooling, and while I was doing this education, it was actually uh, I think it was through Elizabeth Ann Seton homeschooling over in Virginia, and while I was doing this, I remember the the sisters and Father Father Bing were getting involved. And weren't allowing me to do my homework. And just for the record, I am not blaming all the Sith sisters. I'm not saying that they're all bad. I'm just saying what happened. Uh so not all of them are evil people. So please, like I don't want you, my listeners, to think that all of them are evil, demonic, cult like people. I, you know, sometimes they they just do what what they're Obediences And they got to follow through because if they don't do it, then it's a sin. So I don't put the blame on them entirely. Anyways, so I couldn't do all of my homework. And I remember one of them, one of my uh, assignments was to read uh, books by um, William Shakespeare. I think it was like The Merchant of Venice. And they're like, nope, you can't read this one. You know, they confiscate the book. And I was like, well, why not? Well, because it's hexed. It's it's bad. I'm like, okay, well, I can't I can't complain, I can't ask questions. You just got to obey. And I saw this trend because Father Bing didn't want me to be uh, infested, or he didn't want my mind to uh, uh, be brainwashed by the things of the world. It's funny that he didn't. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny how they didn't want my mind to. To go that way, to to educate myself, and my study stopped, and I I got a ticket to go to the Philippines, and I was so excited to go to the Philippines. I felt, oh, thank God, now I don't got to worry about the homeschooling. It was all hexed, anyways. And if you listen to Father Bing and his talks, he would often say that uh, degrees. Do not guarantee sanctity, degrees, diplomas. Do not guarantee that you'll make it a heaven. He'll give an example. Oh, that there could be a priest who has all these degrees and diplomas and certificates all over his wall. But when he gets to heaven, you know, that's, that's not going to matter to God. It was either him or it might have been someone else. But I'm pretty sure it was Father Bing who said that. Um, but I can't be for sure. However, hearing this throughout the years made me think, well, damn, why the hell am I going to, I don't need no certificates. All I need is victimhood, and all I need is to uh, obey, and I'll be okay. So that's that's fine with me. They want to send me to the Philippines? All right, let's go. Let's do it. So I go to the Philippines, and at this point, I'm going to fast-forward the story just a little bit. So I'm going to have my story kind of, Quicken real quick, but before I do, um, before I got sent to the Philippines, my brother, whom I have I've already shared, he was also a member of the community, and he had decided that it was time for him to leave, and there was no problem, so it seemed. However, the problem was that they put that on me. I remember Father. I'm going to say his name Father John. I remember him I remember him giving me like a guilt trip telling me hey your your brothers leaving. You know you're now you're the only, like you're the one left to save your family. And that put pressure on me because I, my mind is already absorbing and accepting everything that they say, because I really, I think that at that time I was just so vulnerable and I was so young, as I said earlier, I was, you know, 16, 17. And I I felt guilty for my brother and I felt the responsibility to save my family, my brother, those who were in my life, from being hexed or from being cursed by the devil because that's what they feed you, That's what they were feeding me. These ideas that if I'm going to leave, that something bad is going to happen to me and then to my family. So he gave me this like guilt trip. And then I remember he gave me this like test and uh, it was, it was in front of the whole community for like two weeks, maybe, maybe two weeks, maybe more, more or less where he was sharing that, okay, Ryan, we're going to kick, we're going to kick you out of the, of this community. We don't want you here. So for the the next uh, two weeks before we, we get you a ticket to go home, um, we want nothing to do with you. And this was like a test that he did. And I didn't really understand, but now that I, I look at, I, now that I'm able to look back, I feel that that really left a scar. And and the agreement was this, this fake agreement, because I didn't know. I didn't know that he was testing me. The agreement we did was this, okay, you know your brother's leaving. You know what? We don't need you. We don't need you. <laughs> we don't need you here either. So, I mean, since you guys are hexed anyways, so you might as well go home and you have nothing to do with the alliance. We don't want you to come to the vigils, come to the prayer meetings. I don't want you joining the youth groups. Stay away from us, not even for enthronements. And when that happened, I felt so devastated because here I was holding on to every word by this priest and just feeling and thinking that he was so holy. And at that time, even though he was being such a jackass, I still felt that he was being holy and uh, he was doing what I deserved because I was an evil person. And then like uh, after two weeks of making me feel like an outcast, he announced to the community, no, it was just a test. I was just trying to humble him. And uh, I still want him to be in the community. So unfortunately, I felt like shit. And they they really put me down. However... I got treated like the what the things he was saying, like, I don't want you to be at the enthronements. I don't want you to be at prayer meetings. I don't want you to be at vigil. I think that there was some truth to that because there are so many ex-members who unfortunately aren't able to still join these activities because they're shamed or humiliated or they'll talk shit. You know, there's a narrative that these ex-members are bad people. And so I'm going to stop that part of the story right there. And I'm going to fast forward to 2000. I believe it was 2012.